So I've uh, annoyed a few people recently by stating that I believe that we should use the state to do things. Essentially. <laughs> I knew that would be your reaction, which is why I wanted to talk to you about this subject. Um, now, I will say before we begin, um, this might be a little bit rough and ready, this uh, segment, because I had to prepare it very quickly because the segment I was going to do, um, we weren't able to do for various reasons. <clears throat> but I want to talk about this concept that I've sort of been thinking a lot about, um, which I've taken from uh, Michael Oakeshott, actually, um, on that note. You can watch the symposium, symp the symposium on Oakshot's conservatism, which is very good. Helped me write my dissertation for university, actually. So thanks, Stelios and Carl. Um, but the concept that I've taken from Oakshot is um, what I'm calling the enterprise state. Um, so I, I don't know if you've read very much Oakshot. I know of it because Carl was using it to, to torment me because he would call me a rationalist, even though I'm not. Yeah. Because I've got a background in the sciences. Sure. Yeah. And... <laughs> I feel like it conditioned me not to be receptive because he would, yeah. he would deliberately and, and sort of humorously, not yeah. maliciously, obviously, yeah. like use it to beat me over the head, just like you're a scientist. You're... <laughs> it was all in good fun, of course. Yeah. But um, He's right. <laughs> yeah, the, the funny thing is there are elements of Oakshot that mm. I agree with, mm. but some of the things he says I don't, I'm sort of lukewarm, yeah. if you will. Well, I think there's, there's a lot of really important ideas that we can take from Oakshot. And the one that I'm going to focus on today is his distinction between enterprise association and civil association. So he writes about this in his book On Human Conduct. Um, he, he identifies these two modes of association. Um, and I think that uh, when we apply these ideas to the state, um, we can actually understand um, a lot about what's happening um, at the moment. Um, so just to kind of outline these concepts then. So civil association, he basically says that this is when a group of people come together um, without any particular uh, goal in mind. Um, or rather, there's no sort of um, teleology to their association. It might be people in a village who just happen to live amongst one another. Yes. And you're, you're sort of civil society. Yes. Thing. And of course, it's a bit more complicated than that because... Mm. Of course, you could have grown up in the same place and therefore be more likely to have shared values. Yeah. And so um, in, in civil society, mm. your associations tend to be um, sort of optional, but to an extent. Yes, yes, sure. You can think of it kind of like a sort of social contract kind of association. Um, None of those. Mm. Um, so it's sort of characterized by a focus on maintaining kind of peace and order and stability. Uh, which you could say are goals in and of themselves, but we won't get into that. The point is, this is a kind of, it's essentially a liberal view of um, what human association should be. It, you, you set the boundaries, you set the rules, um, and from there you kind of, you know, people can just live their lives. Um, and then on the other hand, you have enterprise associations, which are, um, as, well, human associations that do have a, an explicit purpose. So the examples that he gives, and I love these because they're just so English, something like a cricket club for example, um, or uh, you know, a book club even, you know, any, anything, or a company, corporation, anything where there is a substantive goal to the, to the association that you're trying to move towards, that's an enterprise association. Now, what Oakshot says in, on human conduct is the state can take on the character of either of these types of associations. So you have the kind of, again, essentially the classically liberal view of the kind of night watchman state, um, which I know you're a fan of. Um, that does just kind of set the rules, set the parameters in society, and then just sort of lets everyone get on with it. Um, but you can also have um, an enterprise, again, what, I, what I'm calling an enterprise state, that is a state that has a teleology. It has a substantive goal. And the examples that he gives in the book are something you know, like fascism, for example, communism, 
Catholic theo- theocracy, um, and so on. Any of these are sounding appealing to me, to be honest. No, indeed. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so that's the, that's the background. That's the kind of theoretical basis that we're going to move from. Um, and the case that I want to make is that the fundamentally the right should not be scared of using the state. The right should not be scared of the enterprise state, because I think that, and we'll, I'll, I'll let you uh, respond in a moment, because I think that we're at a moment in history um, that requires us to use, to actually do things. You know, I think it's part of the conservative temperament is this kind of skepticism of using um, political power to do things. Um, it's a kind of reservedness, cons- you know, conservatism, funnily enough, um, about uh, sort of using the state to do things, which I think is, is, good and reasonable. And I think that as a general attitude, that is the right attitude to have. But I think that we are living through a moment now that requires us to kind of dispense with that attitude because it's that attitude that is killing us on the political stage. Well, uh, I agree to some extent. Mm -hmm. I think that dethanging the government is the most important thing. But uh, my sort of notion of what the government should be is basically a a military, uh, the, the police but in a, a more limited extent, as yep. in people have a right to defend their property with whatever means they want um, and self-defense. You yep. know, it's up to you, the person who is the victim in, in a situation to solve mm-hmm. it. And therefore, the purview of the police would basically be to, to solve things like murders and theft, yep. like violations of the non-aggression principle and violations of private property rights. Yes. Basically those things. Mm-hmm. And, and the rest is up to society. And also, I want some limited amount of um, adjudication mm. of citizens violating other citizens' um, rights. Mm. So things like the assault, there'd be a, be a sort of rudimentary justice system, mm. things like assault, theft, um, breach of contract, things like that, sure. whereby it's sort of cut and dry mm. a lot of the time, whether someone, <laughs> I know that's a, a massive simplification, mm. but you get the idea that it's not necessarily a political element. If you've been punched in the face, um, no matter what you believe, mm. if you have a big bruise in your eye, it's undeniable you've been assaulted, right? Sure, yeah. And so there's less political bias there. But I want to remove lots of things where um, the state power can be abused for political ends mm. because you an- invariably don't control the apparatus of power. Mm. So I think that there is a place for the government. For example, under my uh, sort of ideal system, which I'm not optimistic about ever seeing in my lifetime, by the way. I'm not, I, I like to point out my ideal, but I don't think it's feasible. So I was don't rake me that, over the yeah. coals. Um, but under that system, for example, you could just say, okay, we protect children's rights um, because you know they aren't able to defend themselves. Mm. And so if, say, a parent is abusing their children or uh, a school teacher is reading them uh, left-wing literature mm. um, that isn't doing them any good, then the state is warranted to step in um, to assist the parents mm. pretty much because it would be for the well-being of the, the children, but in a very limited sense because yeah. I'm very cautious of expanding government power and then the, you sort of, the in-group, the people I agree with, then being pushed out um, because this happens even if you have a one-party state, mm. even on, in Mao's China, you know, he was moving all over the place and um, positioning himself um, to placate people in the party and the blowing wind, basically. Yeah. And so you've, 
you're always going to have competing factions no matter what system of government you have. Yes. So it's better to take the power away and at least be able to live life on your own terms and and prevent people from messing with it Mm. and also prevent the government in the future from persecuting you Mm. by setting up a system whereby you, you have very strict limitations say if you cross this line you're you know breaking the constitution i know this it hasn't gone too well for the americans um recently i feel very sorry for you guys although you did have a better constitution in the first place so have some mercy for me as well but aside 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 um i forgot what's saying now ah yes i think that as frustrating as it is in the moment to, to see the government doing stupid things and knowing how easy it would be to stop. Once you have put a stop to these things, you're going to, by using the state quite forcefully, you're going to make enemies of some people. They don't forget. I mean, you only need to look at the Irish and their hatred of the English. Yep. People, people don't forget these sorts of indiscretions where they're made to feel like they're put on the back foot and they will want revenge on you. Mm. And so you're creating potential people who are going to try and do the same in return by going after them and potentially persecuting them. That's not to say you don't convict criminals and people who are doing appalling things to people, but there are people who have political positions who personally don't engage in lots of the the questionable behaviors that will become resentful by you using that state power and then seek to do the same in return. And it's just going to be a downward spiral that we're seeing at the minute and a collapse of civility. You just need to agree on the rules of the game. You don't need to agree with the eventual outcome. Now, to bring to bring Schmidt into this discussion, because I think that's prescient, because you were talking about political enemies, I do, I do think that um, kind of political friends and enemies are an inescapable reality of human societies. I think there's, that's always going to be the case. And so it's about understanding the, the kind of civil association state that Michael Oakeshott talks about, which he does, which he favors, by the way. He, he, he is a kind of, he's interesting, Oakeshott. He's a kind of conservative liberal, um, I think is the best way to think about him. Because he does have these kind of liberal, English liberal ideals about the role of the state and about liberty and that sort of thing. I think if you're properly English, you do have liberalism sort of inculcated in Yes, you. yeah. And, um, you know, the idea of the neutral state as he lays it out, I think is a, optimistic ideal and i think that the the kind of world that you have just described um you know your kind of libertarian fantasy that you that you <laughs> see um, i mean i know you're not using the term fantasy as a pejorative there because yeah. i mean yeah it, it's not going to come about because there's not the appetite for it especially in britain yeah but you know it doesn't stop me pushing for that yeah i i do agree like the the kind of world that you laid out i i pretty much agree that that is a desirable state of affairs but it's about how we arrive there that i'm that's what i'm talking about because it it, it can't it can't be that we just you know our guys get into power our political friends get into power and then goes about as you say defanging the state i think that there needs to be more done than simply closing off bits of the government. I think that there needs to be an active effort, especially in the cultural sphere, to kind of make an attempt at repairing things before we, you know, begin to shrink the state. Well, it depends what area you mean, right? I I do take the Conan the Barbarian approach Mm. to people who are just deliberately malevolent to civilization and the things that have built it. You know, crush your enemies, see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of Of their their women. women. Yes. (laughs) Great quote. Um, Yeah. Yeah, for those people, that is the treatment they deserve because yeah. they're they're deliberately going out of their way to use their 
um, rights to undermine those of yeah. others, and I have no sympathy for them. Yeah. But if someone is willing to um, respect that someone else wishes to live a different way to them and allow them to live, then they're sort of agreeing on the, the rules of the game, so to speak. And as long as they're not um, interfering, I'm okay to, to leave them be. But that is, that is the fundamental question, though, is if their way of living, as you say, is fundamentally in opposition to the current order that, let's say, in this thought experiment we support, you can't tolerate that. Well, you can just give people freedom of association, and you find that people naturally gravitate towards people who are, who are more in line with their lifestyle, and you'll get this sort of thing that um, the US is quite a good exemplar of, of you get people moving to different areas with certain lifestyles. Mm. And so people who are like-minded can live amongst people who are like them. And although it might not necessarily be good for exchange of ideas, mm. there's going to be less conflict. Mm. People get to live with people who they like. They can have their own society, if mm. you will. And it's the only way in which mass um, force by the state isn't mm. necessary, which I think would create a greater evil. It would create a well of resentment in society. You see this quite a lot throughout history where... Uh, a leader who's you know quite strong, maybe even popular, uses the power of the state to enforce their will and try and make improvements, sometimes well-meaning improvements as well. But just by the nature of forcing it upon people, people yeah. become resentful um, just immediately. Mm -hmm. People don't like having their agency taken away from them, even though most people in the modern day don't have that much agency. Mm. But <clears throat> I think that it's far better to give people the means mm. to live a good life than to compel them. Because also there's a moral question here of if you make someone's decisions for them, then they're not making moral decisions. They're not a moral person and they, they stop taking responsibility for their own life. You want to inculcate behaviors in people whereby they're the ones taking responsibility for their actions. Mm. They're the, the, the sort of agent in their life and they're the one who's morally responsible for their actions by using, um, state power to make people moral and behave well mm. or punishing dissenters which is effectively the sort of same side um, a different side of the same coin isn't yeah. it? then you're taking that away from people and what you'll see is that people will simply you, you see this sometimes in schools for example where there are strict rules and therefore that to maintain your dignity mm. you rebel as a matter of course even though you don't necessarily know what you're rebelling against yeah so I, I, I've become a lot more cynical on the kind of um, just the individualistic view of the world, frankly, because I think that for sort of 120 IQ, you know, 120 plus IQ people, the idea of being you know, left to one's own devices to make moral decisions is, uh, is completely appropriate. But I do think that there is a large proportion of the population who have to be led and who have to be um, shown the right path and not just left to their own devices, because if left to their own devices, they'll just take drugs and um, you know, allow their lives and the lives of those around them to kind of fall into ruin. And I don't think that's a good thing. And the idea that we should allow that to happen because, of, because it's their freedom to do that, I don't think is a particularly compelling argument. I don't find it to be a Well, I don't appeal to freedom in this sense. Mm. I don't think it's a good thing for mm. them, of course. But at the same time, I don't think that they should, if, if you become invested mm. in helping them, and they're going to start dragging down other people that mm. don't deserve to be um, dragged down by, by definition, right? Yeah. If you're intervening. And so I think that they deserve to suffer the consequences of their own actions mm. as a, a moral 
question more than anything. Yeah. Like people, if people make bad decisions, I think they shouldn't be insulated from the consequences. They deserve to feel the consequences of their own actions. So I have very little sympathy for people who, you know, are, are doing things that are destroying their own lives mm. because they also are probably well aware of what they're doing as well. It's not difficult to spot. Yeah. And so they've made a choice. Of course, they may, may be addicted, which makes the mm. choice element um, questionable. And I think that options to help people should be there if they seek it out. Yep. But it shouldn't be a case of, you know, you're mandatorily going to have to live your life in a certain way that the government proposes because then that's fraught with um, potential for abuse. Mm. And I actually think that people, it makes me sound heartless, but I think it's for their own good fundamentally. And but, again, I, I am quite partial to that argument. And I think that the, you know, the state being used to abuse people is entirely a question of who is in charge. And I think that there is this kind of inevitable pattern of history where even if things start out with wise people being in charge, it kind of ineb inevitably degenerates into idiots being in charge. Um, but I want to—I I do want to move on, just sort of going going um, off the kind of sort of high-minded abstract thinking. And I want to make the point that the kind of government that we have that we live under now is an enterprise state. It is a government that has particular um, goals and a particular direction of travel, and it's been that way since, in my opinion, 1997 at least. Um, because the Blair government, you know, New Labour when it got in, it set about, you know, setting up all of these different um, bodies and putting into place all of these different pieces of legislation um, that would uh, transform the country kind of in the image of a uh, new world propositional nation built on ideas and values. I think that it was, you know, a kind of traditional nation built on people and history. Mm -hmm. I think it was rooted in 1980s sort of neoliberalism. So the Thatcher mm -hmm. and Reagan. And they redefined the political paradigm which mm. followed them, which is why Thatcher said um, Tony Blair was the best part of her legacy. Yeah. So her greatest achievement. Yeah. 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 Or something like so that. So she wouldn't be saying that if mm. he wasn't a continuation of her own beliefs. Yes. Yes. So you know, for example, now this was. Uh, oh, I don't actually have the link in there. Never mind. Um, there's a piece of legislation. It actually came in in 2012, so it was under the Tories, but still obviously under the Blairite paradigm, right? Called the Social Value Act 2012. And, and this is a piece of legislation that I hear very few people talking about, but it's really interesting because I've been looking into it recently. Um, and this, what this piece of legislation does is it forces um, public sector organizations to consider kind of broader sort of social factors um, when they are, uh, when procuring, um, you know, goods and, and services and that sort of thing. Um, so, it puts a legal requirement on um, public sector organizations, including government departments, local authorities, um, and other sort of public bodies, um, that they have to uh, consider things like economic inequality and climate change and that sort of thing in their pro procurement decisions. So, so it's very, very like explicit. ESGs, isn't it? But it's, yeah, essentially the same. And ESG, that's another, that would be a kind of enterprise. ESG is an enterprise association in the kind of Oakeshottian terms. Um, but pieces of legislation like this that do get kind of lost in the machine that nobody seems to talk about or remember, remember are ticking along in the background and driving our society in a particular direction because it's forcing people, and it is forcing people because it's a law, forcing people to behave in a way that does um, move our society in a, towards a, a vision of the future that not everyone might agree with. Because that's the other quality of the enterprise state is it doesn't have any 
it doesn't give any consideration to consent. Because obviously New Labour were voted in in 1997, but I don't think anybody was truly, could truly have known the extent to which they would change the country. Um, well, I mean, they, they did lose the election, didn't they, mm. after the 2008 financial yes. crash, after Tony Blair had a massive electoral victory in 97. Yeah. So their, their reign of terror was brought to a close yeah. when people figured it out. But it conscri- you know, the enterprise state conscripts people into the kind of mission, um, whether they like it or not. Um, and I, want to be ca- I do want to be careful how I say this because you, know, you risk sounding like a bit of an authoritarian. But I, I, I think that there is a certain degree of that that is okay, depending on who is in charge. Because I do think that there is a hierarchy of wisdom. There is a hierarchy um, in societies of people who should be in charge. And so I think that there are, frankly, there are those who know better. I think there are those who are in a better position um, to make decisions about society at large than others. Um, the question is whether these people are actually in government or not. And of course, as it stands, they aren't. Um, and we see a kind of, we are actually seeing a continuation of the kind of new labor um, enterprise state in the New Britain document that sort of New Labour 2.0 have put out that lays out the kind of vision for the kind of state that, the, uh, that they want, you know, Keir Starmer wants to bring in. Um, and that is the, the continuation of the Blair um, project turning Britain into this kind of propositional nation where everything is just based on values. Anyone can become British, you know, because it's about adopting the ideas and the values and not about being a part of people and a shared history and a culture and a tradition. Um, and I think because our enemies are so willing to engage in this style of politics, to be scared of doing that is basically just a disadvantage to us at this point. We have to be willing to play the game that they're playing, to play dirty, frankly, because if we're not willing to do that, if we're willing to die on the hill of principles, we're going to lose and we are going to lose the things that we care about, like our country and our history. And so for that reason, it's for that reason that I think using the state as an enterprise is not an unvarnished, it is not an unalloyed evil. It can be used for good. Um, it just depends on who's using it and in what direction. I think if it was our guys in there using it in a direction that we favored, as the, you know, because of the way things are now, that is basically a necessity because so much damage has been done that simply getting in and then saying, oh, we're going to be conservatives about you know, using the state. We're going to be very, very sort of um, uh, limited in our use of state force to do things. I think that that's just going to, it's going to kind of, it's like a, it's like a, a plaster over a bullet hole, right? But there needs to be a, an active effort to do things, to repair things, to push things back in the other direction because they have been pushed so far you know, in a direction that we don't favor. Well, there are lots of things you can do. And I mm. think that in, in the interest of not you know, making this go on for hours, yeah, sorry, I'm not going to list them off. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's a couple of things worth saying. Mm. First of all, um, the difficult thing is getting into power in the first place. Mm. Once you've you've done that, you know mm. the hard work's over with. Yes, um, and it's not exactly like it's easy to run a country either. Mm. But second of all, my view of human nature mm. is quite cynical, and I think as it that, should be. I think that whenever people enter power, even if they have good intentions, and I agree mm. with their sort of view of how people should conduct themselves and how society should be and things like that, I think that the incentives put upon them mm. might make enacting that a lot more difficult than um, 
you could potentially be giving them credit for. I think that's possible. I think that's entirely possible. But let's let's draw this to a close. This sort of this mini mini contemplations that we've just done here. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I'm very I'm keen to hear the audience's thoughts because I know that there are there is a large sort of classical liberal libertarian uh, contingent to the Lotus Eaters audience like uh, like yourself, um, and that you have certain people in the audience have taken issue with me saying that we should use the state to do things. Um, so I'm very interested to hear your thoughts um, about this idea. Um, I think that the enterprise state is kind of, um, it's, it is the status quo in the West, certainly. You know, we see it across, across Europe and America as well. Um, so my position is that we, as men of the right, should not be afraid of using the state to achieve things, to do things, to push our society in a direction that we want to see it going. Um, and that to be scared of doing that is ultimately a weakness. Um, and it will uh, lead us down uh, lead us to similar problems to the ones that we're facing now, because it has been that unwillingness by conservatives to play the same game that the left play um, that has caused us to arrive in, at a position where all of the major institutions, you know, the government, the NGOs, the civil service, the universities, even the churches, have been completely captured by interests um, very different to our own. Um, and so fundamentally, well, that's, that, that is my point fundamentally. I think that um, using the state is not an inherently evil thing. Um, it's something that we should certainly be careful of and, and very um, prudent about. Um, but it is something that I think is going to be necessary when we win. If you enjoyed that segment from the podcast of the Lotus Caesars, why not visit our website where you can get the podcast live in full, uncensored and for free from one o'clock UK time every weekday. And while you're there, why not access our premium content for as little as £5 a month, such as Bo's series, Eekpox, where in this episode he talks to Carl about the Seven Years' War. And if you'd like to keep up with what Bo's putting out, you can follow Bo on Twitter at at HistoryBro1 and the rest of us over at at LotusEaters underscore com. Till next time, goodbye.